morning's responsive reading is taken from the epistle of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. We'd like to read responsively this, this morning, verses 7 through 14. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 17, and I will read the succeeding odd-numbered verses. Would you please begin reading with me in verse number 8, along with the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse 14. And once again, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, and reading responsively. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might take this hymn of love, Lord, and speak to every heart of every child of God, beginning with your beloved. Lord, if there be anyone here that needs to know Christ as their Savior, Spirit of God, do what only you can do in their heart. Have your will and way in our midst, and may you be honored and exalted and glorified, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First John 4, uh, before I begin, I just wanted to give you a, just a precursor for tonight. I'm really honored to have Brother Guy Goodell, Dr. Guy Goodell, I knew him as, but I've only met him three times, but uh, 37 years ago, Sonny and I, out of college, we went to Frankfurt, Kentucky. We went to the Frankfurt Baptist Tabernacle, the church that Dr. Goodell uh, founded, a beautiful 500-seat auditorium that they had just built, and he had been gone since... Uh, few years earlier than that. I think he's been up in Glens Falls, New York for over 40 years now. And uh, he led this Christian school fight. This is before Christian Law Association even existed. Uh, Frankfurt is, again, the capital of Kentucky. And uh, they had a Christian school at his church, of course. And uh, the state decided to shut them down uh, because they weren't accredited. And uh, he led the fight. I think it was a $250,000 or $300,000 fight. Maybe he'll tell us tonight that uh, he led by himself his church and congregation, and uh, they won that fight, of course, and that set the precedence for, country, for uh, Christian schools all over the country uh, to have uh, religious liberty to meet and educate our children as we uh, uh, see fit, of course. And, of course, uh, Brother Goodell was ground zero of that fight. He's, he's 80. You will never know it. I shouldn't tell his age. He looks like, uh, honestly... It's embarrassing. I see he looks younger than I do. I don't know how that happens, but anyhow, he's he's uh, his wife. I wish she, her his wife could be here. She's accomplished a musician, 
In fact, his granddaughters are as well. And they're, in fact, they're in some type of recital today, and so they can't come, but Brother Goodell will be with us probably for the one and only time tonight, 6 p.m. We'll look forward to that. 1 John chapter 4, as my custom is, I pick one text verse of our passage. It was tough this, this morning, but the verse that I've chosen is verse number 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. I like that word. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. The propitiation for our sins. It's our 26th message, just in fast review, and we'll get right to the meat of the message here in moments. We preached a message several weeks ago entitled, I Know God is Greater Than My Heart. Sometimes our heart condemns us, does it not? But God is greater than our heart. We preached a message six weeks ago now, whatever it was. I know three commandments to receive. We're commanded to receive, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to uh, abide in his spirit. And then we looked at the first three verses of chapter four here, and we preached a message entitled, I know I am not to believe every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they be of God. Not everything that's supernatural is of God. And then, of course, last week we looked at verses 4 through 6, preceding our passage before us this morning, of course. I know I'm born, I had to insert the word again, to win. I'm born again to win. We're more than conquerors for him that loved us. But the in-your-face truth this morning is this, and of course the key word of this this book and the serious title of our messages is uh, These Things I Know. And the key word is know, K-N-O-W. And so here's the in-your-face, this is an in-your-face book and here's the in-your-face truth. I know God possesses the gold standard of true love. Lame illustration, but it's the best one I can come up with. Nadia Komenichi was the Russian gymnast. Some of you that are my age and older remember the, I think she was like a 15-year-old girl at the time. She was in the Olympics maybe 20 years ago, whatever it was, a gymnast, of course. And I think she was the first one ever in the history of gym, gymnastics on the, whatever it was, the cross beams. I can't remember what the event was, but she scored a perfect 10. It was flawless. Nobody could ever find a, never before. And since then, has there ever been a perfect score in that type of event because it was as flawless as you could possibly be. Well, I want you to know that God possesses the gold standard of love. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about love, and we want to try to correct some of those misunderstandings here in a few moments. But I know, or let me just say it this way, although men attempt to pervert it, and man has a very perverted mindset of love, Love is reciprocal. Love is conditional. Love is, is uh, transparent. Love is to f- consume it upon our own lust. Uh, love is for me, myself, and I. God's love is completely different. Man wants to pervert love. and there's a, You may have a wrong concept about the love of God. We want to correct that here in the moments that we have. And so I know that God possesses the gold standard of love, the perfect standard of love, Although men may attempt to pervert it, God's love is pure. And I think of God's love as pure, first of all. 
And it's, it's without hypocrisy. It's unadulterated. It's pure love. It's unconditional love. You can't, like 24 karat gold, you can't get any finer than this love. It's the love that passes understanding. It's the love that, as 1 John 3, 1 says, this love that is, behold what manner of love, this out of this world love. There's no love in this world like anything like it. It's pure love. Not only is it pure, but it's perfect. In other words, it cannot be improved upon. It cannot be added to, cannot be taken away from. It's immutable. It's a perfect love. And then, of course, this love is perpetual. And what I mean by that, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, if you want a verse, the Bible says, Behold, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Our love is temporal. Our love is, is conditional again. Our love is, is, is uh, conditioned on other people's love towards us, and it wanes and it goes up and down. This love is forever. One reason heaven is going to be forever. Just think if God got, and I don't, don't, don't raise your hand on this one, but do you ever get tired of church? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> what if God got tired of us? What if God got tired of us? What if God got fed up with us? Well, God never gets fed up with his children. This passage is dealing, as we're going to find out, with the first word of verse 7, word, word beloved. But I want to address five questions in my prayer, if you noticed. This is sometimes known as John's hymn of love. It's really chapter 4, verse 7, and it ends in chapter 5, verse 5. But these first eight verses are parallel in many ways to parallels the Apostle Paul's hymn of love, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, Love Never Fails. So I want to address five questions this morning on the God's, this John's hymn of love. Notice with me, verse number seven, let's begin. Beloved. Notice that word beloved. It's found, by the way, five times in this book, two times in our passage before us, this word beloved. is talking to Christians. Let me say first and foremost is this message, like most of our Sunday morning messages, in fact, this is a church, a called out assembly, these messages are first and foremost geared to speak to the heart of the beloved, children of God. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can listen in. But I want you to know that the beloved there is speaking about the children of God, those that are beloved of the Lord. Beloved, notice the first question here that we address here in verse number seven. What is love? What really, what do we mean when we say God is love? What is love? Look at the verse. It says, beloved, let us love, verse number seven, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Notice, first of all, three things about what love is in addressing the question. It originated in God. Verse eight, God is love. Verse number 16, notice it with me. I have it circled in my the middle of the verse, and we know we have known and believe that that the love that God hath to us, God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Notice it says God is love. It doesn't say love is God. The universalist says that, you know, well, God loves everybody, every love loves everything. That love and God are synonymous. No, no, love and God are not synonymous. God is love, but love is not necessarily God because there's a perverted view, a mindset of what love is. But this love, first of all, letter A, it's originated in God. He's the author of love. You see, he wrote the book on true love. 
Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. This is true love here. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, this is, this is where true love is found right here in the book. And so he's the author of love. He wrote the, the whole book. It's the book of love. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This Elohim God, and we saw last night in the movie, and he, everything that he created, he said it was good. Why? Because he's a good God. He's a God of love. And so he created everything. He's the author of it. He gave us a book from the Revelation, or Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We see the love of God all the way through this book of love. It's written to his beloved. And so he's the author of love. He, love true love originates from the author of love, God himself. He's not only the author of love, but he's the creator of love. He's the creator of love. Now, a little bit different. You see, he created us in his own image, after his own kind. We learned again this last night. He created us to love. It's, it's interesting. This, before the fall, right after the fall, we had the first murder of Canaan murdering his brother Abel. Uh, we learned, again, last night for the third time, in case you weren't here, we had a movie, uh, Paradise Lost, showed the creation, the true creation of uh, how God created the heaven and the earth. And before the fall, or excuse me, before the flood, animals were vegetarians. And man was vegetarian to a point. And then, of course, after the flood, of course, God said also instituted capital punishment. But it was not until sin came, and death by sin. But God is the creator of love, and there's a number of animals now and species that kill their own offspring and eat their own babies, if you could say it that way. They, in fact, the science has a name for it. It's called filial infanticide. In Romans 1.31, we read about that in the last days there will be some that God gave over to, and they are without Romans 131, without natural affection. You can drive your car 90 miles an hour and go over a cliff with six of your adopted kids in it. You can put your kid in a car and, and, and drive into a lake. You can kill your child. Without natural affection, the word of God goes on in Romans 131 and saying, merciless, without mercy. You see, this, he's the creator of love. He created us to love. See, it's, this love is originated, first of all, in God. He's the author of it. He's the creator of it. But then this love is of God. It's who he is. Now, I didn't say it wrong. You might not have caught it, but let me say it for the third time now. God is love, but love is not necessarily God. Follow the logic. God, Romans, rather, in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. He, he is a spirit. He said, God is a spirit, but they that worship, and he that worship him, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. That is true. It refers to his essence. You see, as a spirit, he is not limited to time and space. God is before time. He's not limited to time, nor is he limited to space. He's omnipresent. He can be all places at once. There is no time or place with God. He's a spirit. And so he can be in my heart, right now he is. And he can be, if you're a child of God, he can be in your heart right now. And in the heart of every believer around the world, 
God's spirit is present. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. But then I want you to notice not only is he a spirit, God is his spirit. Now, not all spirits are God. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. But secondly, God is light. Now, Satan comes as an angel of light, the Bible says, but he's not the true light. In John chapter 1, verse number 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, light refers to his holy nature. In the Bible, light is a symbol of holiness. Darkness is a symbol, a symbol of evil. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Right now, and I have a vantage point, uh, and I've said this many times, but I can see car. There's a car right there. There's another car. There's another car. No, I'm not making another car. No, 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 no. I'm, I can't count them fast enough. Seven, eight cars just went by. 26,400 cars passed our church. I remember this from 18 years ago. When Home Depot was built, they did a, didn't want to see how many cars passed the road. 26, they're just passing, I'm just watching them. You want to turn around and see them too? No, I'm just teasing you. I don't think they're thinking about, I guarantee you they're not thinking about Harvest Baptist Church. I guarantee you they're good drivers, they're, staying, they're keeping their eyes on the road, and they're not even looking at the church. They're not thinking about God, probably. They're not going to church, I bet. It's time for church all, all over. No man seeketh after God. They're not concerned about the things of God, period. They're, they're following a different light, a false light, fake light, if you will, darkness. But this light, God is light. Not all light is not God, but God is light. God is a spirit. But then I want you to give the logical understanding. So love does not alone define God. The, the guy says to his sweetheart, I love you. That doesn't mean he's of God. He may just have ulterior motives. You see, his love is the perverted form of love. Oh, I really love you. Still perverted love. You see, God's love, man's love and God's love are infinitely far apart. And so love, number three on our worksheet, love does not alone define God. It's one of his character traits. But God defines love. God is love and God is light. Therefore, his love is, is a holy love and his holiness is expressed in love. You see, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Every once in a while, I'll just, I digress for just a second here, but, oh boy, I've started, I'm already digging my hole, it just, just popped in my head. I had to fight, no, my, my flesh, my flesh. Okay, I'm admitting, this is, I'm just telling you what, what goes through my tainted mind. I'm sitting here, and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. I look out, and I say, where's so-and-so? They haven't been here for weeks on end. I won't mention who I'm thinking of. Several people. Week after week after week after week. Uh, my love is tainted. And if I'm not careful, I can really get deep. And you say, preacher, you don't think that way of me ever, do you? You better hope I don't think this way. But, you know, like, God, when I get in my depravity, 
God judged them. How could, they, how could they just abandon you? How could they not love you? I want to call down the wrath of God like John and James there in, the, in John's gospel about this, with the Samaritans. Remember that story? But the Bible says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Do you think the Lord ever gets tired of us in some ways? He may get tired of us per se, but he loves us, the beloved, with an everlasting love. What is love? It's pure love. It's unadulterated. It's, it's perfect. It's perpetual. It's the gold standard of love. And so let us see three things about what is love addressing the question. It's originated in God. It's, it's of God. It's who he is. He is spirit. He is, he is light. And, and he is love. But then let us see, it's only available to God's people. Look at verse number 8. Now this word, no, we've looked at it many times, but he that loveth God knoweth not God. For God is love. Well, some of you know, most of you know, Jonathan, Laura, my, we're grandparents again this week. Laura had number seven. We haven't seen number seven yet, but uh, it was on Wednesday. had a baby girl. Not trying to be graphic, I'm just trying to be honest. It's because Jonathan knew Laura. That's how that works. The Bible says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. You say, what are you saying, preacher? That's pretty graphic. This knowledge is an intimate knowledge. He that loveth not knoweth not God. It's only available to God's people. We've said it and we've already preached the message. What I'm trying to say, you don't know how to love. You can't love like God loves unless you know God. There's no possible way to have experiential knowledge without knowing God and without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so this love is only applicable to God's children. That's why verse 7 starts off the way it does. Beloved. Let us, children of God, love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Look at the second question, verse number 8. We just read it already, but answers the second question is John's hymn of love. Why are we to love? Well, first of all, we don't need to read verse 8 again for the third time, but it's observed as a commandment. We already said it's who God is. God is love and we're the offspring of God, children of God. It's, it's a commandment in both the Old Testament and New Testament. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. It's a command from God. It's the second great commandment. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. The key to joy, we've said it many times, J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It's a commandment in the Old Testament and New Testament. God is, we are to love because our, our maker, our author, our creator is, encompasses perfect love. But then I want you to notice Jesus said in John chapter 13, let me just quote you to verse, verse 35. He said four other times, he said three other times, excuse me. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. He said a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
One of the most special services we ever had at our church was uh, uh, we had a, a reaffirming of vows service. Brother, Brother uh, Dan Souza preached. We had seven of those couples. In fact, uh, Arnett's, I remember the Arnett's were there and, and Dale and Marcy and Sonny and I. And us, we put on our best suits and some of those guys had tuxes on. Ladies put on their wedding gowns if they, or a nice wet, a gown, let's put it that way. We had all seven couples come up and we renewed our wedding vows. Some being married 30 years, 40 years, some 50 years. You say, well, why, why did we do that? One time we went to an altar and we said, I love you and we do. Is that good enough? No, we need to renew. The Lord said, a new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment? Don't we know that we're to love one another? What, what, but, you know, I think we need to renew our vows, I think, in many cases, every single day, and maybe hour by hour we need to renew our vows. John 8, or 13, 34, and 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so why are we to love? We're to love because it's, it's, it's observed as a commandment, both Old Testament and New Testament. But then, secondly, verse number 9, in this was manifested or made known the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son, monogenesis is the word, one and only, son into the world that we might live through him. Why are we to love? Well, it was on display on the cross. It's a lame illustration, but I want to give it again. I saw this past week, I saw the saw a documentary on the fall of Saigon in 1975 when we pulled out of Vietnam in 72 and Nixon was impeached and Ford came to be president and, and uh, we left the South Vietnamese to defend against China and the North Viet Cong all by themselves. And Congress pulled the plug. Not only did we pull the plug on all the troops, but we pulled the plug on all the money. We said, no more! We had our sophisticated college students in our streets across America especially, protesting, no more killing of babies and, and, and women. We're out of here. So we exited. And something called the killing fields of Cambodia and Laos took place, two or three million. And the North Viet Cong came down and in the documentary it showed the tens of thousands of people, I can see it in my mind's eye, I saw the footage many times. Tens of thousands of Viet Cong thronging, trying to climb the, the barbed-wired top fences of the American embassy there in Saigon, begging, and we took 76 helicopters in all night on one day in April 17, 1975. Evacuated about 130,000, five or 6,000 Americans and their families and their wives and their children, and many married to Vietnamese, and 130,000, and the rest... At about 4 a.m. in the morning, that morning on April, whatever day it was, Ford said, that's it, last helicopter. The last 11 Marines got on the top of the building and flew out, and the thousands down below, thronging, begging. Of course, many of them would be executed within a day or so as the Viet Cong troops were moving in with their tanks. We left them behind. I said it was a lame illustration. But there were soldiers, American soldiers, and there were folks that risked their lives to save some folks from certain execution. 
and probably torture in most cases, thousands of them, tens of thousands, yes, into the millions. We left, we said, we're not going to pay the price any longer. I think of the price that Christ paid on the cross. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for people that cared. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely or hardly for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure, perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, or God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how you can process, I can't process the cross of Calvary. When I think what Christ did for me on the cross, three things, just let me give you a sound bite real quick. He was cursed for us, Galatians 3, 13 on that cross. He became a curse for us who knew no sin, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for curse of everyone that hangeth on a tree. He is cursed for us. We see the cause of the cross. God's holy righteousness demanded it. God demanded that a sacrifice be, a perfect sacrifice be given. Then, of course, we see the cure of the cross. First Peter 2, 24, quoting Isaiah 53, says, And by his stripes we are healed. He died the most horrible, horrific death that man's ever invented that we might live. I don't think, and the choir sang the song, Consider the Cross. I don't think we consider the cross like we should. But his love was on display on the cross. We'll look at verse number 10, our text verse. Third question. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The question, third question that must be addressed is, how can he love? How can he love? Let me tell you, he doesn't love us by our person. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, first of all, he's not a respecter of persons. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. He's not a respecter of persons. It was 20 years ago. Somebody, how many remember the name Carla Faye Tucker? Remember that name? Well, let me refresh your memory. In 1989, let me look at my notes, make sure I got that right. Not that you, yeah, 1998, excuse me. Carla Faye Tucker was the first woman executed in Texas since the Civil War. Before she died, she became a born-again Christian. She asked for, she had remorse and asked for forgiveness and redemption, but they still put her to death for the 1983, pardon me, pickaxe murder of a man and a woman in their bedroom. And there are national television evangelists on television begging for Carla Face Tucker's redemption that she had changed her ways. She went to the execution chamber and they put her to death and I for one was for that God might have forgiven her and God she might have became a Christian according to her testimony but she took two people's lives and the government bears not the sword in vain by the way just sidebar I believe the scriptures both Old Testament and New Testament teach capital punishment Amen, Pastor. That was good. Thank you. I just, just, just wanted to give myself an amen. I didn't hear nothing. 
But she wanted, as you see, it's not by, not by our person that he loves us. It's not by our plea, I guess I didn't give you the point. It's not by our remorse or by our repentance that he forgives us. We're still guilty. Well, he's obligated to forgive me. Let me run this rabbit trail real quickly. When I'm talking to somebody about leading them and trying to lead them to Christ, the same knowledge of Christ, sometimes I'll say to, you, to them, if you, now if you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, do you think he would come into your heart and save you from your sins? And sometimes I get an answer like, oh yes, I think he would. That's really actually the right answer. But it's almost like, well, why wouldn't he? I'm such a great person. No, no, no. You may have the right to ask, but you're still guilty. We're still dead in trespasses and sins. He doesn't love us because of our person. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love us for our plea, our remorse or repentance. He doesn't love us for our performance. Titus 3, 5 reminds us that not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he have saved us. No amount of reformation can save you. That's religion. I'm going to spell it out. If you're still coming to this church, this building, and thinking that you're going to get to heaven by coming and hearing Marty Schott preach for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, you, you could not be more mistaken. You say, I'll just show God how good I am. That's religion, my friend. You don't need religion. You don't need reformation. You need a redeemer. You see, he, he doesn't love us by our person, by our plea, by our performance, but he loves us by one, 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 yes, I emphasize it, propitiation. I like that word. It needs to be defined. Notice what the verse says again. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Back in chapter 2, verse number 2, we see the word again. Notice it says there, and he is the propitiation. It's the Greek word halasmas. Only two times it's found in Scripture. It means that he expiates or he atones. He's the atonement. And here in, and hereby we do know, or pardon me, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, by one propitiation, John, when he saw Jesus coming in the river Jordan to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But I like the illustration that Pastor Tharp gave on Easter Sunday, you that were here, about the pardon that President Lincoln gave to that, that man that refused the pardon. 1 Timothy 4.10 says it this way, Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. You see, the propitiation, the atonement, the pardon was given at the cross of Calvary. But it must be appropriated. It must be received. But as many as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. And so we have this, how is this, how can he love us? Not by our person, not by our plea, not by our performance, but by his one son's. Hebrews 10.10 says it this way, that once for all, he hath entered into the Holy of Holies. Once for all, he obtained eternal redemption for us through the blood of his Son. We get to verse number 11. Notice with me back in 1 John chapter 4, the fourth question. Beloved, 
the second time we find that phrase beloved, that word beloved in our text. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Question number four, who are we to love? Well, obviously, of course, I try to keep some alliteration going in my outlines, as most of you know, I try. And I like to have the word, well, duh, but that's not a good alliterated word to use. So, you know, who are we to love? Well, first of all, obviously, I chose obviously instead of duh. We're to love the Lord. We're, we're, we're from him. We're manifested by, we're, he manifested his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And we are to love the Lord. The psalmist said it this way, why do we love the Lord? Well, well John said it in verse 19 of this text, we love him, why? Can you help me out? Because he what? First loved us. John said it this way, or rather the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 116, I love the Lord, why? Because he hath heard my voice and, and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. We love him because he first loved us. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We obviously should love the Lord and love what he loves and who he loves, and that leads us to who else are we to love? Obviously, it tells us right in the text, verse number 11 again. It says, we ought also to love one another. Of course we're to love one another. John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse, verse 17 of John 15, these things I command you that you love one another. To dwell with saints above. That will be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. You know, it's amazing. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. How can we love our, say we love God who we have not seen if we can't love the, our brothers who we have seen? Hebrews 13 says it this way in four, four words. Let brotherly love continue. And so we love the brethren because... That's who we are of. We're of God. He's the author, creator of God, or creator of the, the author of love. And he created us to learn to love. But then we get to verses 12, 13, and 14. Notice the last question. How should we love? Well, verse 12, notice it quickly. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Notice, first of all, that we should love by loving one another or by serving one another. You see, love is more than feeling. Love is more than words. First John three eighteen. It's let's not love in word, or in, but in, but but I can't quote it. All of a sudden, here, verse eighteen says this: My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, love requires work. Love requires action. Well, you're here, but let me just say it. Don't tell me you love God and you never can find time to come to church. It requires action. Don't tell me you love God when you don't want to love your fellow brother or sister in Christ. You see, love, but by love, serve one another. That phrase, one another, is found 19 times in the, in the New Testament. Many times in regards to loving one another with a pure heart fervently. And so how should we love? Well, we, we love by serving one another. And then we love, secondly, verse number 13, 
by striving together in one spirit. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. There's that key word know again. And we, we strive together in one spirit. Philippians 1.27, the Bible says that we stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This church has got to be on the Holy Spirit page, not on the Marty Schott page. It's got to be on one Lord, one faith, on his word, not on your word, not on my word, not on what we think we should do or our version of love. No, we must be all together in one spirit. So we should love by strength. We should work very hard and love is love and striving together with this one spirit. But then verse number 14, it fits so wonderfully with our upcoming missions conference. Look at the verse. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent, key word, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Notice we should, how, how we should love. We should love by sending others. Romans 10, 13, can you quote it with me? For whosoever shall, do you know it? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But verse 14 says this. And how shall they call on him of whom they have not heard or believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I do this very quickly here, but I get a little annoyed. It wouldn't matter what we did last week in Syria. It wouldn't matter what we did if we did nothing or we did everything or did a little bit something, something. America and the president is always wrong, no matter what. The famous congressman said, all that's necessary for 200 years ago, all that's necessary for evil triumph is for good men to do nothing. You know, we went to Vietnam with pure motives. Went to Korea with pure motives. We may have to live another Holocaust coming up. It could very well happen because we didn't finish a job. We, got, we didn't want to go all the way 70 years ago now. We may pay the price. But Someone had to be sent, is my point. Soldiers have to be sent. God sent his son. God calls us to send forth preachers, missionaries, around the world, going therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Going into all the world to preach the gospel. This verse number 14, this last verse of our text, teaches us that this love of God was manifested by God sending his son to be the savior of the world. The ultimate observation is that God sent his son for the lost. In 10 words, the Lord summarized why he came to this earth in Luke 19.10. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. God sent his son to give life. Give it eternal John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I'm come to them and I have life and have it more abundantly. I give unto them eternal life, verse 28 of John 10 says, and they shall never perish. Why? Because his love is everlasting. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
The song Love Lifted Me was written by James Rowe and orchestrated by Howard Smith. James Rowe was born in Devonshire, England in 1865. He, at 24 years of age, he moved to Albany, New York. And then from Albany, New York, he went to Wells, Vermont, where he lived with his daughter for the last years of his life. It's said that he wrote over 19,000 song texts, songs that you would know, I would be like Jesus, sweeter as the days go by. He made a friend in the last number of years of his life called Howard Smith. Howard Smith suffered from severe arthritis in his hands, so bad that his hands were terribly twisted and crippled up. But he was a prolific piano player and a musician, of course. And Rowe's daughter, Lewis Rose Mayhew, observed that Smith was a very little man whose hands had been become knotted with arthritis, but he still could play the piano marvelously. Love Lifted Me was written in Saugatuck, Connecticut in 1912. It was written as James Rowe wrote the lyrics and Howard Smith wrote the melody. And the story is given by Rowe's daughter again. I can see them now, my father striding up and down, uh, striding up and down, uh, humming a bar, a bar or two. And Howard E. playing it and jotting it down. The two huddled together, working line by line, bar by bar, composing this hymn in tandem. They ended up selling this song to... Richard Coleman gave the copyright for $100 back in 1915. The song says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love, what kind of love? God's love. Love that was manifest on the cross. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Verse, the third song, third verse rather, was a song of witness to the lost. Souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea. Billows his will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be, be saved today. Love lifted me. What's the truth to know from this beginning of this John's hymn of love? Well, get this down. Our God's righteous love, and that's what it is, righteous love, manifested at the cross, divine justice, can loose me from my sin, all my sin, and lift me to heaven when nothing else can. Therefore, I am to learn of him, Jesus said, learn of me. More like the master I would ever be. The more we become like Christ, the more love we're going to have towards him and towards others, towards our, loved, uh, towards our brethren. I am, to learn, I am to learn of him so I can light the way we are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify God. So I can light the way for others to be lifted by his love. Jude 24 says it this way, And some have compassion, have love, making a difference. But God, 
Herein is love, not that God loved us, or pardon me, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know God's love, and only God's love lifted me. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I know, even if I was the most eloquent preacher on the face of the earth, Lord, I could never even begin to scratch the tip of the surface of the love of God that passes understanding. Lord, but you love us. We acknowledge that, and we're humbled by that. And you created us to love one another. And you created us to send out others that they might hear the good news of salvation. Like your son, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Lord, help us to realize, Father, I've said it for many years now, our most important Sunday of our entire year, church year, if I have to identify one, it's always our missions conference Sunday. It's where we decide that we're going to love by deed, by action, and not just by words. Lord, I pray you bless in our missions conference, bless in these moments of invitation. I pray this morning, Lord, and do what only you can do in the hearts and lives of people. I pray in Christ's name I ask. Amen. As we stand, let's sing that.